Hebrews chapter 12, uh, if you'll turn over to that in the New Testament, and we'll, uh, we're going to start there in just a second. Coming up, back in, in October when we went to two services, we knew that we would be going back to one sometime in the spring. We sat down this past week and we looked at the schedules and we threw them all out on the table. And based on, we've got four weeks of summer schools, our, our spring breaks coming up. Do you guys know that? They're fixing to just... They're fixing to come up, and nobody, decide, nobody can do spring break at the same time. You know, everybody's got to be their own little deal and do it at their different time. And so there's like four weekends that are going to be affected by, by spring break. And so when we looked at that, we said, okay, we thought we were going to go back after Easter. But we're, what we're going to do is we're going to go back to one service on March the 23rd. We're going to take March the 23rd all the way up to Easter. We'll do two services on Easter Sunday because we know that we need two services on Easter Sunday. Um, and then we're going to go back to one during the summer until the Lord leads us to go back to two. So I want to let you guys in on that, that little deal, okay? So we're going to be bringing the family back together, spending some time. We know that we're going to have to have extra help on Sunday for children's, for our children's environment. So if you guys listen, if you just, you want to say, hey, I want to be involved, you get with Miss Sharon or get with one of us and we'll make sure you get, get you in the right direction. But on March the 23rd, we'll go back to one service, um, and then for Easter Sunday, we'll go back to two and then back to one until we get through summer. Because you guys like to go to vacation on summer, don't you? Some of you even like to vacate from coming to church. But anyway, Hebrews chapter 12, let me read this for you this morning. This is sort of a, uh, this is sort of a key verse for us as, as we've been in this series. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, and this is what it says. Therefore, in light of what we've heard Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge, huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. I don't know what trips you up, but I would promise you there's probably something that has, a, has the tendency to distract you, okay? And what it may be for Lauren may be totally different than what it is for Jim, vice versa. What it is for one person may not be the same, but every one of us have got that thing that we seem to struggle with. And let us run, he says, to, to, that, he said, throw that stuff off and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. In this series, we've been, we've been sort of focusing on what, what if we were to take some of the champions of faith that have lived before us that the Bible talks about, what would it be like to take them out of the stands and and to talk to them about their life of faith, to get from them some advice about what it was like living that life of faith, for them to come out of the stands and not only just to talk to us, but as we were walking in the life of faith, for them to run alongside of us and say, hey, I just want you to know I went through that too. And let me tell you what happened in my life. Let me tell you what took place. And let me tell you how I got over the hump. Wouldn't it be neat if we were to have people to walk in? See, now, now look, there's a plug for getting in a small group, getting in a missional community, and spending time. Because you can't run this race of faith by yourself. It's impossible. Because what Satan does is he discourages us, and what he, he does, he tries to isolate us from one another. Because he knows if he can get us isolated, he can discourage us. And that discouragement just leads to a life of defeat. And man, that's not who we are as believers. But what would it be like if, we, if those, some, of those, some of those great champions of faith were to come out, come out of the stands and say, hey, let me, let me share with you. What we saw last week, we talked about the life of Noah, and, and we sort of gave an overall thought of Noah that Noah's saying to us, listen, 
you can make a difference. You can make a difference. This week, we want to take the, the character of David. And there are so many things that we can talk about David in reference to his life, but I think this might be one thing that David may say to us. I think David may say this. I want you to understand that God blesses us when we place ourselves underneath his authority. You might want to write that down someplace. Because here's David, the character that some of us might would know as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I mean, this is the guy that, I mean, I mean, he did all these wonderful things, yet on the other hand, this is the guy that lied, this is the guy that was an adulterer, this is the guy that was a murderer, yet the Bible says that David was a man that was after God's own heart. And David would say something related to, his, to the authority in his life, and I think that's what I want to focus on today. I want to focus on the fact that this is what David would tell us, that as we were walking along this journey of faith, David would whisper into our ears, listen, let me tell you something. God blesses those who place themselves under his authority. Can I pray with you before we go on today? Because it's going to get tough in here. Whew. Let's pray. Lord, this, is, this, this character of David and what we're talking about today has just been all over me. Because there are times in my life that I'm rebellious and I'm not submissive. There are times in my life that, that I've not wanted to listen to God and I've not wanted to listen to my parents and I've not wanted to listen to others that are in authority over me and I've had to go before you and I've had to ask for repentance. But what I'm asking today is as we listen to what your word has to say that you would speak into some, something into our lives that's truth and that we would come to the place of saying, Lord, if that's what your word says, I surrender. Not peace, not a part, but all of it. So help us hear that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the story of the Israelites all the way back. Here are the Israelite people. They're moving around. Yet in the midst of their moving around in the early days, they were looking for a king. Why were the Israelite people looking for a king? Because as they looked at those around them, they saw the other groups of people that had a king, and they said, we want to be like them. God said, you don't need a king. The Israelite people said, we want a king. The Israelite people said, we want a king. God said, okay, if you want a king, but let me tell you what's going to happen. Let me tell you what's going to take place. But God gave them a king, and that king's name was who? King Saul. They had a guy by the name of King Saul, and the Bible says that he was chosen. And here is a king. Here is a king that was, that was handsome, and here was a king that came out of, out of this, this, this rich background. And the people looked at him, and they respected him because of his outward appearance. And yet, that kingship would eventually be taken, taken back because he didn't do the things of the Lord. If you will go back and remember, he became so enthralled with his talents and abilities and his handsomeness and the fact that he could wink his eye and everybody would just grin. And all of a sudden, he began to think more of himself than he did the commandments of God. And be, he, be, he began to move away from God. And it came down to the place in his life that he didn't do what God did. And his disobedience to the Lord led to his downfall. God the Father would send Samuel the prophet off to a house of Jesse to find another one that might be anointed king. 
Samuel's first approach went to the oldest son who was also good-looking and handsome and looked like the man that would follow in his footsteps and Saul's footsteps. But it wouldn't, it wouldn't be that oldest brother that would be chosen. It would be the youngest, a man by the name of who? His name was David. David. And it would be David that would be chosen. There amongst all his brothers, it would be David that was chosen. And the Bible says at that morning, moment in time when Samuel anointed him that he that, that the Spirit of the Lord would come upon him and the fact that the, Bible, that, the, that the Bible teaches us that the Lord was with him. So you've got Saul, who is still the appointed king, yet now he's in the midst of losing that kingship, and you've got David, a younger man, who has now been anointed as king. Can you imagine what that time would have been like? Here's David has been anointed as king. Here's Saul, the one that's appointed as king. And I wonder what would take place. Here's David, the king in waiting, yet Saul was on the throne. And I wonder what David would say in the midst if he were to come out of the stands. I wonder what it was like being the one in waiting and living under God's authority. Has anybody ever struggled with submission to authority? Have you ever thought, have you ever struggled or rebelled against authority because you felt that you knew better? How many of you have done that in this place, in the, in the workplace? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. How many, of you, how many of you children, if there's children in here, have rebelled against the authority of your parents? How many of us have rebelled against the authority of government? I want to look at four truths that we find in Scripture in reference to submission to authority. And you can write these down, but these are some things that we want to talk about a minute before we go back to David. Write this down. Number one, God is the originator of authority and Satan is the originator of rebellion. Write it down. Hear me and hear me well. The Scripture teaches us God is the originator of authority and Satan is the originator of rebellion. Authority is from God and rebellion is from Satan. Let me read you a passage of scripture in the book of Romans and what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 13. And this is what the scripture has to say. This isn't Sidney's words. This is what Paul had to say within the scriptures. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority is from God. From where? God is the originator of authority, not man. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing what's right, but in those who are doing what's wrong. Would you like to live without fear of authorities? How many of you are worried about the police guy coming behind you with his lights on? What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Well, if you're not speeding... Everything's the way it needs to be. You don't have anything to be afraid of, right? Yeah. Do what is right and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course, you should be afraid. For they have the power to punish you. They're God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes too. What? You got to be kidding me. 
Pay your taxes too. For these same reasons, for government workers need to be paid. They're serving God in what they do. Give to everyone you, uh, what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Now, there are different interpretations to this passage of Scripture, but let me tell you what it's saying. Basically, unless those in government laws or, or regulations require you to violate moral standards put forth by God, it's, you need to obey them. Okay, unless, unless the regulations and the laws that are being put forth by government violate God's law, you need to obey them. You need to obey them. Paul's saying, listen, the police and the civil authorities, they've been put there by who? God. God alone. The basic principle here is this. God expects us to submit to authority. God is the originator of authority. So if submission to authority is from God, where is rebellion from? Come on, guys, help me out here. Satan himself, rebellion. If God's the originator of, of authority, where does rebellion come from? Satan himself. Here is God in creation, creating one of his, his most beautiful, his most beautiful um, creatures. And here, in the midst of Satan, and Satan gets to thinking so much of himself that he says, listen, I'm going to put myself above God. And he convinces a third of the angels to follow him. He's the originator of rebellion. God's the originator of authority. Satan's the originator of rebellion. In Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, we see that. We see that picture. If you want to know whether or not you're right or not, all you have to do is ask yourself, is the attitude that I'm in right now is it an attitude of humility and submission or is the attitude that i have one of rebelliousness you ever want to stop in the midst of a conflict just ask yourself that is my attitude right now is it one of humility and submission or is my attitude one of rebelliousness second rebellion against god's direct or delegated human authority is a serious sin with serious consequences Romans chapter 13, let's go back and see what it says. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. That's hard. But that's what the Word has to say. 1 Samuel 15, in the account... God rejects Saul uh, from being king, and Samuel is confronting Saul. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel 15, 22 through 26. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. And underline this in verse 23, rebellion is is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols so because you've rejected the command of the lord he has rejected you then saul admitted to samuel yes i've sinned i've disobeyed your instructions and the lord's command for i was afraid of the people remember god is glorious i don't have to fear others it's easy for us to view people above god you ever done that before we do some crazy things sometimes because we value people more than we worship and think that God is glorious. 
I was afraid, Saul said, of the people and did what they demanded. But now please forgive my sin and come back. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel replied, I will not go back with you since you have rejected the Lord's command. And you have re- uh, he has rejected you as king of Israel. Here's God had, having told Saul to go into this, this land and to kill everything that was there and to destroy. But instead of doing that, what Saul did is he, 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 he brought back the king and he brought back some of the plunder that he wanted. And in doing that, this is what Saul was saying. I hear what you're saying, God. I hear what you're telling me, but God, my ways are better than your ways. And God, my thoughts are better than your thoughts. So the excuse was, well, those up underneath me, they made me do it. That was one of the excuses. And when that one didn't work out, then he comes back and says, oh, but I got this so that I could bring a sacrifice to the Lord. And what did Samuel say? No, it's your obedience that the Lord desires, not sacrifice. It's your obedience. For that reason, the Lord has rejected you. He says rebellion is a sin, is as the sin of witchcraft. And so here's a question for us. What in the world is the sin? What does it mean when he says the sin of rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft? witchcraft is like a religion but it's not really a religion because it doesn't have a deity the witch becomes the deity they become the person in charge and what the witch does is they try to manipulate situations to get what they want are you with me you ever been in a situation where you tried to manipulate situations so that you could get what you wanted and what does he say rebellion is a sin as sinful as witchcraft wow There's no difference between the attitude of that which a witch is trying to accomplish and God says rebellion is the sin of witchcraft, trying to be your own God. He goes on to say that stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. What is worshiping idols? It's putting something above God, right? Putting something above God. So what's God trying to say? Stubbornness is the worship of my own opinion saying, I know better than God. Stubbornness is saying, is, is, is the worship of my own opinion. I know what's best. I, ha- I am the deciding factor in this process, Scott. Me. Authority isn't a problem, though, until there's a disagreement. Then it becomes a problem. What am I going to do? If the IRS were to call you today, and they were to say, Gail Fort, I need you to come down to the IRS office. I have a check for you. You'd have no problem getting in your car and running down there to see just how much you were going to get, right? But if the IRS were to call you and say, Gail Fort, I need, to come, need you to come down to see me. You owe us some money. You do everything you could to try to withstand that as long as possible. There is no problem until there is a there is a, a conflict until there's a disagreement. So submission to authority means <clears throat> I'm going to do what you say, and if I disagree, I'll make a righteous appeal. I'm not going to beat you up over it, but I'm going to make a righteous appeal. Because this is what we've come to learn about authority figures on earth. Let me tell you something. Authority figures on earth make mistakes. You know why? Because we're human. Is there anything wrong with me going and making a righteous appeal? 
Not at all. But how's your attitude when you go about it? What kind of attitude do you have when you make that appeal? Is it a righteous appeal or is it my way or the highway? It's okay to make that righteous appeal. Third thing I want you to write down is this. Submission to authority accelerates spiritual revelation and maturity. Submission to authority accelerates spiritual revelation and maturity. You want to grow? Submit to authority. Specifically starting with God's authority. Here's a passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 8 that we see in the life of the centurion. Jesus, verse 5 there in 8 chapter 5, chapter 8 verses 5 through 10. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my house. Just say the word where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they'll go, come and they'll come. And if I say my slave do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was so amazed, turning to those who were following and said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen this type of faith in all of Israel. So here's a Roman officer who has a sick servant. He goes to Jesus who's a man, this is a man that's, that's not only a man under authority, but this is a man of authority. And he looks at Jesus and he says, I know that you are a man under, uh, of authority. I want to place myself underneath you. I want to place myself underneath you. And Jesus responds by saying, I've not seen this type of faith in all of Israel. This was not a Jew. And Jesus' response was, Wow. This is something else. If you want to grow, learn submission to authority. Um, these are the facts. Dan turned 40 years old. When? Today? Dan, 40 years old today? Happy birthday to you. You're on the downhill slide. <laughs> As we get older, this old body wastes away. But the Bible says our spirit's renew, being renewed day by day. You know, 50, 60, 70, 80, then the time comes when we won't be on this earth any longer. But just because we're physically old doesn't mean that we're spiritually mature. Where spiritual maturity comes from is submission to God, humility saying, God, I'm willing to obey you. I want to put you above me how many older people do we see that say i'm a i'm i'm a follower of jesus yet they're not spiritually mature how many people have we said i'm a follower of jesus i've only known jesus and walking with jesus for two or three years yet they're mature way far above their age because they're learning to submit and humble themselves before the lord and they say lord i'm looking to you for guidance and for direction. I trust you. Number four, submission brings supernatural flavor, favor, blessing and protection from God. Submission brings supernatural favor, blessing and protection from God. You know, we know that we can't earn God's love, that he loves us. But there's something about blessing. Blessing comes as a result of obedience. 
That's what the Bible says. You want to be blessed? Forgive others. You want to be blessed? Be generous. You want to be blessed? Obey. There's a reward for obedience. What about this passage in Ephesians chapter 6? We love to use this on our kids, don't we? This is what Ephesians, what Paul had to say. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you might live long on earth. We've threatened our kids with that, haven't we? You want to live long, you better obey me. <laughs> I've told mine that before, it scare them. But when you're growing up, when you submit to your parents, when you're growing up, you submit. As we get older, we learn to honor our parents. And the Bible says that if we submit and that we honor, that, that one of the promises of that is, is that, listen, you will grow old. And this is what we come to learn, is that authority flows out of the home. Authority flows out of the home. And when authority is honored, it protects society. But where there is rebellion, it leads to what? Chaos. God's authority. Parental authority. Where there is honor, where there is authority, there is protection of society. But rebellion leads to chaos. I see that more and more. I never understood that. But if there's one of the things that I desire from my, ch from my children is I desire for them to respect authority. I never understood that principle until I began reading and, and as I get older and I see. Because if our children don't learn to respect authority early on, what happens as they get older is their life becomes chaotic. Not only their life, but your life. And guess where they learn submission to authority? Guess where they learn humility? From us. Because we are their teachers. You can tell them anything you want to tell them, but they learn from us in our actions. You ever had a conversation about somebody in front of your children? I'll tell you what, what I, you, you ever done that before? Little ears are listening. What's that song? Be careful, little ears, what you do. They listen. They learn from us. They learn from us. Submission to authority isn't an issue until there's a disagreement. I want to talk to you a little bit about a test because there were some things that David went through where David experienced some tests in his life in reference to, into a, uh, in reference to submission to authority. Here are three tests I want to give you really quickly as we go back to the life of David. The arrogance test. Write that down. The arrogance test. Here's David being pri privately anointed by Saul, by Samuel, the prophet to be, uh, he was the prophet um, that, would, that would appoint him. And so, but Saul didn't know that, so there was this appointing that it, uh, anointing that had taken place behind the scenes. Um, eventually, father would ask bro uh, brother to take some, some food down to the, to the battle lines to feed his brother. 
And in the midst of that, there was, a, there was a guy by the name of Goliath. You remember this story? So here's David that goes off. He goes down to the battle lines, and this is what the Scripture has to say in 1 Samuel 17. Don't worry about this Philistine, David says to Saul. Saul, the appointed king, David, the anointed king. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. And he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion and a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've gone to this I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. So here's Saul, the appointed king, the one that's in position on the throne. You've got David, who's the anointed king. Saul's response to David was, you are way too young, little boy. David didn't tell him. Listen, big dog, you can't tell me what to do. I'm the anointed king. I'm fixing to take your position. Don't you know that? I'm the anointed king. I'm the anointed king. He didn't say that. He didn't do that, but he went back to Saul with a righteous appeal. As a matter of fact, there's one translation that says this. He says, your servant, your servant, in other words, your servant, I'm submissive to you, even though I'm here. I understand you're here. God has put you in that position. Your servant, I'm coming back to you. He went back to him again. I remember uh, a story one time of, of being in a situation with a guy when I was a lot younger, and we had a disagreement. He was my authority figure, and there was a disagreement, and I remember at the, at the end of that um, saying to him, you know what? You're in charge, not me. And there was such an amount of peace that came to me. And I said, if that's what you want, that's what we're going to do. Because you're chief in charge, not me. You are. You're the authority figure. I'm going to respect that position. David didn't storm off and say, you can't tell me what to do. But he went back to the king. He approached him. He wasn't arrogant. But he asked for Saul's blessing. And if there's nothing else, this is what we learn about authority. Authority keeps us humble. Authority keeps us hum humble. It's easy to get into the place that we become arrogant and we feel that we don't need authority. You can't tell me what to do. You ever met somebody like that? I'm putting my foot down. You can't make me do anything. But what authority does is it keeps us humble. You don't know, don't, I don't care what position you hold. You can't tell me what to do. Wow. An arrogance test. But David didn't say, I'm the anointed one, but he lived under the authority. Write this one down, the abuse test. This is tough, the abuse test. Because somewhere along the line, somebody's going to say in the midst of talking about authority, but what happens if authority is abused? Let's see what the scripture has to say here. 1 Samuel 19, 9 through 11. But one day Saul was sitting at home with a spear in his hand, the tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came upon him again as David played his harp. Saul hurled his spear at David, but David dodged out of the way, leaving the spear stuck in the wall. He fled and escaped in the night. Then Saul sent troops to watch David's house. They were told to kill David when he came out the next morning. But Michael, David's wife, warned him, if you don't escape tonight, you will be dead by the morning. Let me say this. If your boss starts throwing spears at you, you better run. I mean, listen, if somebody's back, 
and they're out to kill you, you need to remove yourself from that place of danger. If your boss is throwing spears at you, probably there's a good, good thought process. You need, to play, you need to find another place of employment. Here are the people singing the song. Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. And he became enraged. And in the process, he tried to kill David. And let me say this right here. God does not expect us to stay under abuse of authority. There is a difference between suffering and abuse. All of us will go through suffering because we are limited in our abilities because of our humanness. But there's a difference between suffering and abuse. We can expect suffering in life because God is the only perfect authority, yet we must not tolerate abuse. This is what, Paul, this is what Peter said in 1 Peter. For the Lord's sake... Chapter 2, verses 13 to 19. For the Lord's sake, respect all human authority, whether the king or his head of the state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and honor those who do right. It is with God, it, it's God's will that, you, that, that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom to excuse, and it's an excuse to do evil. But respect everyone and love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God and respect the king. You who are slaves must accept the authority of your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if, if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. Ooh. For God is pleased with you when you do what you know is right and patiently endure unfair treatment. That's hard. Listen, God knows that there are going to be bosses that are difficult, doesn't he? God knows that there are going to be bosses that are unfair. God knows that there are going to be people that are going to be harsh and unkind, and God expects us to submit to them as unto the Lord with a good attitude. You know why? Because those of us that call ourselves believers are salt and light into the earth. This is hard, but this is truth. But there's a difference because suffering means discomfort, and we will all go through that type of a thing that type of situation all of us will go through times of suffering but abuse means damage and god does not expect for us to stay in a damaging situation some people say but okay but what about a spouse are you telling me to go get a divorce no what i'm telling you is the first time first time you're a victim the second time you're a volunteer you remove yourself from that situation the first time you're a victim, the second time you're a volunteer, you remove yourself from that situation. That's tough. That's really tough. Suffering, you're going to experience it. But damage, remove yourself. Constructive separation. All of us are going to experience imperfect authority because we're imperfect people. But you got to draw a line where there's that damage that's taking place. The abuse test was one that David passed. He removed himself. What about the advantage test? It's the last one, the advantage test. Obviously, David became more popular than Saul. Here he was, his, 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 his power, his prestige, um, those that honored him, he began to gain an advantage on Saul. And if you know the story... 
what happened was here is Saul pursuing David. David's, David's moving away from the conflict. He finds himself and hides in a cave, in the backside of a cave. Saul comes along, got to go to the bathroom. I mean, that happens from time to time. Goes into the cave to relieve himself. David, the guys are like, man, take his life, take his life. He has the opportunity. What would you have done? What would you have done? Yeah, probably. But David said, no, I'm not going to replace what God has put in place. He reaches over. He cuts a piece of the garment up. Saul walks outside. David begins to feel guilty for what he's done. He speaks. As soon as Saul gets at a distance, he speaks to him and he says, I want you to know that I was in here. I could have taken your life, but may God choose between the two of us. He had the opportunity to take advantage, yet he would not take advantage. And when David had finished speaking, this is what it said in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 24. Saul called back and said, is that really you, my son David? And then he began to weep and he said to David, you are a better man than I, for you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, I have been amazingly You have been amazingly kind to me today, for when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else would let the enemy walk away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you well for the kindness that you've shown me today. And now I realize that you are surely going to be king, and the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. He had the ability to take advantage of Saul, but he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. How many times do you have the ability to take advantage over authority that's above you? And how do you respond? When somebody's in authority over you, and you might have the upper hand, how do you respond to that authority? Do you rebel and move off to the side? Because let me tell you what. The second man in charge a lot of time is more gifted, better looking, smarter, more intelligent, um, more talented, yet God doesn't give us those gifts and those abilities so that we can usurp authority, but he gives us those abilities so that we can encourage, so that we can lift up, so that we can serve. And here's the advantage test. And David could have taken advantage, but he didn't do it. How do you treat those in authority above you? Pass or fail? See, God blesses us when we place ourselves underneath authority, which first starts with him. This is a tough lesson today, isn't it? And parents, you know what? We got a lot of rebellious kids running around. You know why that is? Because they see it in us. Would you bow your heads? How many of you be honest and say, I struggle with this issue of authority? I struggle with authority. I just, I mean it. I'm sitting and listening to this, and I struggle with authority. Did you raise your hands? I struggle with it. I mean, it's something I deal with on a daily basis. I'm a rebellious person. I struggle with authority. God, work, home, parents, government, 
I have to admit that there's an area of my life that I struggle. And because we've sort of brought it up today, I, I mean, I've realized that's me. If authority is something that you, that you struggle with, would you be willing today to go before the Lord and repent and to ask Him for forgiveness? Let's say you're a follower of Christ, and today the Lord's revealed to you, man, I, I've blown it in this area. Let's go before the Lord even right now and be specific. Maybe it's a relationship <clears throat> with a boss. Maybe it's a child-to-parent relationship. Maybe it's a coworker that's above you, or maybe it's even your spouse. Maybe it's a government figure. But today, if the Holy Spirit has said, revealed to you, man, there's an issue here that you're dealing with, just go before the Lord and ask Him for forgiveness. Say, Lord, let, help me to live under the authority that you've put in place in my life because I recognize that you bless me when I do that. This is another tough part that maybe the Lord's just not prompting you to sit here and to ask him for, for forgiveness. Maybe there's somebody that specifically that, that, that you know and the Holy Spirit brings to your mind that's, that the Lord's asking you to go to somebody specifically and ask them for forgiveness. And you may see them tomorrow at the workplace and you need to go to them and say, listen, I want you to know that yesterday that I was in church and we were talking about authority and I just need you to know that, man, I, I am so sorry. I'm wrong. My attitude has not been right. Maybe you've had a bad attitude towards your spouse and you need to go. I mean, I've had to do that before many times. Meredith, I'm wrong. I'm, I'm sorry my attitude wasn't right. There is no healing until there's an acknowledgement. But maybe you need to do that. The truth with submission to authority accelerates spiritual revelation and maturity. You want to grow in Christ? Bring yourself underneath authority. Bring yourself underneath. If you're a believer today and you're wanting to grow, it's not about another Bible study. Listen, it's simple. Bring yourself underneath authority, beginning with God's authority. That's the beginning. I want to pray for you today, those of you that are here that they're struggling that. Father, I just want to pray for those of us that are here in this room that might deal with the issue of not being submissive to authority. This is a tough lesson, but this is what your word has to say. And, and, and submission begins, first of all, with our submitting our lives to you. Help us to learn from that lesson and to hear your voice. Help us to be reminded that the attitude that we have, that we portray for our children, man, we fail in that so many times. May we live out that truth in front of our children, in front of the people that you've called us to reach, and may they see a difference in us. That we don't always have to be right, but we're to be yours. Father, there may be some here today that don't know you and have never trusted you and never placed their self underneath your authority, even this morning. Even this morning in, in our time, would they be willing to go before you and say, Dear Jesus, I, man, I'm just a mess. But I've recognized today that I'm a mess because I'm a sinner. And I've never placed myself underneath you. Today, as the song said, I want to surrender all. 
And if that's you today and you're here, the surrendering of our lives to Jesus begins when we acknowledge our sinfulness and we believe that Jesus Christ came and he died on a cross for our sins. And if you're here today and you've never made that decision to trust and follow Jesus, it's the best decision you'll ever make. But it begins with acknowledgement. Lord, I'm a sinner. And Lord Jesus, I know that there's a penalty for my sin, and it's death. But Jesus came to die for my sins. He died for me and for my lack of submission. And today, I recognize that, and I want to submit my life to him. And if that's a prayer that you would pray this morning, even after this service, would you come to me and say, that's me. That's me, and I want to place myself under God's submission and trust him. Living out a legacy of faith, if we want to be your people, it begins with obeying your, your teachings. And the teaching today that we would hear, the, the whisper that we would hear in, our hear in our ears from David would be, God blesses us when we place ourselves underneath authority. May we hear that. Because as we're running this race, it's not about being right. It's about being God's. And that's what we want to be. Send us out now, Father, to be your, to be your people. To live, live as you've called us to live. And may we have an impact. And may others come to know you as a result of the lives that we live because of our faith and trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.